Hello, Alaska. This is Pat Race. And this is Matt Buxton. And this is a podcast about Alaska. Welcome back to the world of the Alaska legislature. We're in session. Um, I think we've got a a lot of stuff we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about, um, you know, the things that are happening, the things that are going on. The Um, legislature, Republicans, Republican legislatures, and license plates, probably. Yeah, and uh, maybe I'll talk a little bit about the Arts Council as well. But the... um, the place I wanted to start is, is, is before we get into that, I wanted to kind of do this running start. And I wanted to um, divulge to you something that I don't know if I've talked about on this podcast before or, or shared with a lot of people. Um, and that is that I was once registered as a Republican. And gasped. Gasped. I don't, yeah. You know, it's not abnormal in the state of Alaska, of course. Uh, you know, we have quite a few Republicans here. Um, I don't think that necessarily aligns with uh, my viewpoints today. I was in high school and uh, eight, turned 18, and it was time to go vote for president. And my dad was a Republican, and so I, that's the party I, I was in. And, uh, you know, you don't think about it a lot when you're first registering to vote sometimes, right. you know, when you're a kid. And uh, it, was, uh, it was interesting. You know, I, I worked on uh, – I kind of got voluntold to work on a bunch of different campaigns. Um, I helped out some people with some database stuff. I, uh, you know, multiple people who, like, ran for house against Beth Kurtula and lost, uh, including my dad. Uh, I got to work on those <laughs> campaigns. It was really, uh, really interesting experience. And, you know, I got to know a lot of the folks in the Juno Republican crowd and a lot of folks that just, like, um, had personal connections and were like, I'm not really a Republican, but I'm helping this guy out because I went to high school with him, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and it, that was sort of my introduction, I think, to like state politics in Alaska. Um, but the reason I bring that up is because um, I, th- I think that the Republican Party in Alaska has changed a ton since I was a kid, since, you know, the, the late, late 90s, mid 90s. It was like a, a different thing then. I think that the, the, uh, you know, the Coghills and the uh, Kathy Geisels of the world uh, who are kind of going extinct are, are sort of representative of that, like, older group of Republicans. And then there's this kind of more Laura Reinboldy, David Eastman type of Republican that's really sort of consumed the party lately. And and I, that's kind of something that I want to talk about because I feel like it's a Republican party with that is more interested in power and control than in any sort of like real uh values system um although i you know uh, pete kelly i feel like falls in in line with those guys a little bit and he definitely had a value system like he published his <laughs> values like i don't really agree with him but i felt like he had um he at least was willing to write down these are the my operating principles <laughs> well i think like you know you look back at you know, Senator John Coghill, he's a North Pole senator, uh, defeated in this last year's primary elections. I think he's, like, really, in my mind, like, the, like, ideal, almost, of this, like, kind of bygone era of Republican politics, where, you know, he was principled, he didn't believe in certain things and believed in other things that other people didn't believe, and, like, that was his position. And he kind of could clearly sort of talk about it and have a conversation about it. And he could also, you know, he was able to sort of run the legislature in a way where, you know, he would stab you in the back, you know, stab you in the front, basically, is kind of his motto. And so, um, you know, I think this is all in context, right, of the this new Republican majority that has taken over the Senate. This is 13 Republicans that have kind of at the last minute decided to organize 
they're they're really sort of divided internally. Um, you have some sort of extremely far right Republicans. You have some off right Republicans. You have like two, I think, of the sort of traditional businessy kind of Republicans, and then you have like three moderates. I guess is kind yeah. of the way I look at it. And they've organized under this idea that I kind of I say it says it sounds good in pra- in theory, but bad in practice. This kind of idea where they are a caucus of equals. And and so everybody they don't have like a the sort of normal binding agreement. You know, typically the way I've I've heard it discussed is that legislatures um, organize, you know, kind of with you know how you organize determines the outcome, right? And so they have no sort of agreed upon platform right now, other than they are all conservatives, right? They don't like Democrats. It's kind of the main let's win. Right. And so the the caucus of equals sounds so high minded and so good on paper, but there is like it's not built on anything. And you're you're sort of presupposing that Laura Reinbold is is equal in terms of her contributions to someone like Bert Stedman or Click Bishop. And and that to me, I think, is where the problems really start emerging is that you're now now you're you're elevating someone who has been on Laura Reinbold Island for for years and years and years for for good reason. And I think you're harming those people uh, who are doing good work on behalf of the state and who I don't always necessarily agree with their de- their their decisions they make, but they are generally looking out for like the best interests of Alaskans or at least for their constituents. Right. And you look at kind of the, the sort of the core power structure of the Republican Senate. It has sort of moderates at the most sort of critical sort of junctures of the legislature. They are um, you have uh, Senator Stedman and Senators Bishop in in the Finance Committee. You have Senator Stevens as the Rules Chair Committee. And those are really the, like the two kind of main sort of gatekeepers for everything else in the legislature. Right. And so you really can't get past them. And you kind of look at the layouts of those committees, too, and they are kind of backed up. Those are guys who are never going to get overruled, you know, I, I would think. We'll see. Um, but, you know, as we started to see the rest of the layout of the legislature, or of the Senate, um, it really kind of gets sort of concerning, right? So the two people, and I guess like the two committees that I think are really going to be the problems are, so the Senate State Affairs Committee is chaired by Senator... Uh, Shower. Shower, Mike Shower. Yeah. And then the Senate um, Judiciary Committee is going to be chaired by Senator Laura Reinbold. And so this, these are people who basically have spent the last two to more years sort of on the outskirts of the Alaska legislature, you know, who kind of got most of their work done on Facebook, you know, basically spreading sort of either doubt or disinformation about anything, really. But really, mm-hmm. in the last year, it's been about, you know, the pandemic. I think showers discussed about it being you know, made in the lab in Wuhan because that's what Tom Clancy wrote about one time. Uh, Senator Reinbold is, you know, she kind of um, notably got in a big fight with Alaska Airlines for who made, because they made her wear a mask on a flight. Um, who, she made them an apology cake, though. Yes. Sorry, but it literally says, sorry if I offended you. <laughs> and then she, you know, and she also, you know, she also signed on to this lawsuit uh, challenging the election results, right? Like she's, she, her right. name is on an amicus brief. Um, and this is, so this is the person who's now going to be in charge of a committee that is sort of charged with really broadly speaking laws in Alaska. You know, they kind of look at, you know, almost every, this is one of the critical committees where a lot of stuff goes through. 
I'll be real honest, I don't have a really good sense of what state affairs does, but it oh. kind of broadly deals with things relating to the state. So you got like elections issues, you have kind of police sort of safety issues, a lot of the constitutional amendments go there. Just kind of broadly speaking, just sort of a catch-all committee. So a lot of stuff goes there. Judiciary is one, in my opinion, is kind of one of the most important non-finance committees in the building because it's the committee that deals with the law. So you, you know, so the, any sort of judicial issues go through here. Any sort of legal issues go through here. So you know, for example, um, all the crime bills were really a lot of the work was done in these committees. Um, you know, anything dealing with marijuana and that sort of stuff, all the sort of legal issues will go through here. Interestingly, though, um, the COVID response and declaration bill isn't going to this committee because because I because of reasons, I think. Well, OK, so and and I think that we have seen a couple of red flags already. It's only been a, we're only just kind of a week into the legislative session. Mm-hmm. Uh, the House hasn't coalesced yet. The Senate's just kind of getting off the starting blocks. Um, but you know, Laura Reinbold's already talking about how she's going to bring Ann Zink in front of the committee to testify. And she's going to like grill her on this, like kind of half true vaccine miracle cure that she's writing about on Facebook. And she's also going to like do a hearing for a bill that wasn't even assigned to her committee. I don't know. It sounds like there's like already some uh, flags on the field there. Yeah. So, I mean, I think it, it's really telling that the Senate majority, even if they're caucus of equals, they're they're still routing sort of critical bills around our committee in sort of ways that I would sort of think are, are maybe wrong. I think that this, you know, even in a wrong in a normal world, right? If you saw this bill not go to this committee under normal time, it would be weird. Um, so I think we get are getting a sense that, you know, these are just really toxic committees that I think that the Republicans in general are willing to kind of look the other way on which is to me really bizarre because i think if it's a caucus of equals i believe in some way that everyone's a little bit responsible for everything that happens on that level and so now you're kind of given platform to some pretty far right sort of thinking um that that can that is going to get underway and is going to kind of be everyone's going to be painted with and so you know and so this committee, um, Reinbold's Judiciary Committee, is only here is holding informational hearings on the COVID disaster declarations and how they affected Alaskans. But she's, you know, if we if you need any idea of what she's planning with it, right? We've we've got those posts, but you know, she's been spending the entire interim calling even Dunleavy's kind of toothless sort of COVID nineteen precautions. Um, uh, she's she's been calling it tyranny. Um, and then meanwhile, Senator Shower, he's got the only bill hearing that's going this week. It's hearing his own bill in his committee. And this is Senate Bill 39. You might call it if if you're being polite, I think you might call it a voter election reform bill. I think if you're looking at it for what it is, it's a voter suppression bill. It makes it um, so municipalities can't hold by mail elections. Uh, you'd have to have everybody opt into it. Um, you, it right. does so a you, whole bunch of stuff that makes it more difficult to vote. And this is kind of what happens. Wait, so when, hold on, hold on a second. So municipalities still can have by mail elections under this bill. They just have to, they have, you have to actively um, seek out that mail in ballot rather than just having it automatically sent to you, which yeah, break, so, I mean, breaks the, the Anchorage system. That's not a mail in election in my opinion i mean alaska has a mail-in election in in the same kind of idea because you can do request absentee ballots it's not a mail-in election yeah okay and and so i think that's kind of you know 
sort of pulling back out before I get like way too down in the weeds here is that, you know, this is sort of where we're at with the Republican Party, right? Is that this is a party that by and large is being driven by kind of lies told for profit and power, right? And so, you know, this, the election bill, the the kind of this COVID attention that they're getting is all really driven by, you know, sort of the Facebook claims, right? So, you know, I think, you know, shower just like president trump is very you know every there's millions of people who are deeply concerned about elections security when you say stuff like that it like all these alarms go off in my head when you say the republican party is is driven by you know profit and power or whatever like all these alarms go off and they like in my sort of like moderate brain it just says like you can't say that about them but i i 100 agree with you because they're i mean we've we've seen I, I just feel like my whole world has shifted since the since Trump has come and gone and since everything happened at the Capitol and uh, like I just can't handle it anymore. Like the the like the, the bullshit is so thick. There's so much hypocrisy, I think, too. Um, and I think that you're, you're, you know, to pull away from the legislature. The thing this week that's been just horrific is seeing the, the what is essentially the Republican Party propaganda machine, like rallying behind white supremacists. And, you know, we had just to summarize really quick, there was a license plate that said Third Reich and a license plate that said Fuhrer. And uh, and that got reported and the legislator said, I'm going to look into this. And then all of a sudden there's like news articles and Facebook posts and all these like things kind of making excuses for it. And like a like and that sort of necessary catering exposes who their base is and exposes who they think is important you know like when you when you say we're going to elevate the voice voices of indigenous people you say you care about indigenous people when you defend people that are like driving around with 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 white supremacist language on their license plates that says that those are the people who matter to you and to me like i just can't even stand it and that there hasn't been a, a meaningful you know, I, I, no member of the Republican Party in Alaska that has any sort of meaningful position has said anything about it uh, that I'm aware of. I, I know Scott Kendall said something. He's a Republican. He said he said this is bad. So great. Good. He's a he was Walker's chief of staff and is a but, I you know, he's he's a pretty squishy Republican. He's working you know, on the recall, too. Yeah, he thinks he's a Republican. I don't know. But I but I guess, you know, that gets put back to kind of this original story that I was telling It's like I feel like the party has moved so far away from where it was. Um, not that it was ever that great, but that that the, the that, that is just like migrated. And if we're and 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 if I'm looking for confirmation of that, I can look to Lisa Murkowski, who is like a dyed in the wool Republican, who is now talking about maybe this isn't the party for her anymore. Right. Right. Like that's the, that's the kind of thing that like that makes me feel like I'm not crazy. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Well, I think, you know, I think. I think about this a lot, and I think you kind of you, know, you look you look at kind of the differing responses to COVID as an example, and I think that, that somewhere along the line, people realize that you know basically lying to your constituents, telling them there's always an enemy that's coming for you, that there you always need to be on guard, that life can be completely easy and pain free, you don't ever need to make sacrifices, is just a lie. And it, but it's also so I guess what they figured out is that it's it's a it's a convenient you know, lie, right? It, it helps build a base. It helps keep them mad. It helps keep them activated, keeps them paying, you know, paying out to your campaign funds. Right. And I think that's why, 
you know, I think that that line in the the you know lies told for profit and power is a, was to me the most sort of hitting line from President um, Joe Biden's inaugural inaugural speech, right? Yeah, I think it, it it I think it really hits to the core of, and I almost sort of feel sorry for a lot of the people who buy into the QAnon or even are just sort of normal quote unquote sort of Trump supporters who. You know, they've been lied to, right? And and I would, you know, if you really honestly thought that AOC and all the Democrats were going to come and, and force you to say happy holidays and, and hold down your <laughs> neck while doing it, like, yeah, I guess I would be afraid to be treated that way, right? But, like, that's just not the reality that we're dealing with. So they're kind of off in this bubble that is just completely disconnected from reality. And, and, and it ends up with a fertile ground for... Um, you know, the QAnon conspiracy for radicalization. And I think people really don't understand that. And I think it, or maybe they do and they don't care, but it's just really scary to me where we see, you know, years of everything's Obama's fault leading, you know, I think there's this, there's sort of a straight line you can draw from all this sort of rhetoric, you know, us versus them rhetoric that is so effectively used to, you know, people getting killed, people being harassed, people being threatened, people being fired from, uh, the Arts Council Commission that they've loved. You know, I think <laughs> that uh, there's just, all, I, to me, I think it's it's really frustrating because it it's frustrating to see people kind of get away without ever admitting that things need to be tough, right? Because I think that's the thing with COVID. That's the thing with almost every sort of one of these issues is that, yes, it's going to take some personal sacrifice from all of us. Like, making sure people of color don't die means that our police need to be uncomfortable sometimes, right? Like, all those sort of things require some level of sacrifice that I just feel like they have told themselves they don't need to make or that you can have a perfect world without ever making a sacrifice along the way. And it's just, to me, it's just so frustrating because it's effective. I mean, ultimately, it's an effective way. You know, that's there's a reason John Coghill lost. There's a reason Kathy Giesel lost. There's a reason all these people have lost over and over again. And there's a reason why Dunleavy got in office with, you know, he, his basic campaign promise is that he's going to pay a a huge mega PFD that he never has paid. Yeah. And, and now we're here, you know, now we're at, at this sort of nexus. And for some reason, my audio keeps on just sliding down. That's weird. Okay. I probably you're, you're yelling. It's, uh, it's, it's, uh, Isn't, maybe there's an audio yeah. auto thing in here. Yeah. Yeah. The more, the louder you talk, the like, Oh, it totally is auto. Yeah. yeah that's okay. Funny. Yeah. I, you know, with Dunleavy, that's an interesting thing too, that like gets into this idea of like principles, right? So like, what is the Republican party? Like, are they, you know, now, now all of a sudden they're for giving out a ton of money to people like that's, yeah. you know, that's more of a socialist model, right? This idea of a universal basic income or whatever, but they've sort of been able to, to, uh, ret retcon it. And in a way in Alaska, they're saying like, oh, well, this is my mineral rights, right? So I get this payment for, you know, which is total bullshit. It's not the real thing. And again, they're just sort of like investing this, investing in this idea that like makes it okay that they can like, that they can just accept this, this uh, compromise in their principles, which are that, which quickly evaporate after they make multiple compromises. Yep. Lies told for profit and power, man. Yeah. The worst part about Alaska is that we're always two years behind the national trend, right? So yeah. we elected our Trump, but we still got two years of him left, right? I mean, like, you look at it, I think that's sort of the biggest thing that is so frustrating with me is you look at 
all this talk about cutting government, draining the swamp or whatever, and they come in and do exactly the opposite, right? So, you know, under Dunleavy, the government is, is, is there's been cuts, right? But a lot of it is on, you know, the, they turn around and they're handing out sole source contracts to their buddies. You, know, you look at, I think Dermot Cole has done some excellent reporting on this, but you look at what they're planning with the DMVs. They're closing a bunch of DMVs. Which are profitable already for the government. Yeah, which are profitable, and you know, you look at all the vanity license plates they're 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 selling, right? Like so, there. But but then there's this whole idea that the private industry will come in there, and lo and behold, the private industry just happens to be directly related to health and social services. Direct Commissioner Adam Crum, right? And so it's just this bizarre. It's not even it's not even bizarre at this point. It's just like this continual sort of just drumbeat of like a grift here, which is. That's the whole thing, right? That's the profit part of the power, right? There's a lot of power invested in all this, but there's a heck of a lot of profit to be made. You look at, you know, the the governor initial budget came in. They wanted to privatize the prisons. Turns out Don Arduin, the OMB director, had some connections to private prisons. You look at this sort of stuff just up and down, and it's just so frustrating to see it because, like, there is, in my mind, you know, I love I love government, right? I think government's really this sort of interesting sort of big beast with a lot of different people driving it. And, and I think it's it, all that sort of public policy is just, like, very interesting. I think there is a, a good way to run a Republican form of government, right? It's, it's lean. It's responsive. It's blah, blah, blah. It's all X, Y, and Z. And it's That's not what this transparent. is. Transparent. And it's transparent. There's no transparency in here either. And I think... That's what's frustrating is I feel like we're not even it's not you can't be critical of government spending and then hide all your government spending like that's not like you can't say like we're the party of fiscal responsibility and then like hand out a bunch of sole source contracts to your buddies and shut down the state checkbook and deny a whole bunch of public records requests because you're getting things done like that's just not that's not responsible budgeting or or right (laughs) and I think that's that's what's so frustrating is that you know, I don't even know what they stand for, right? Because, you know, I think a, a government run by Kathy Geisel, right? If she was governor, it would be a tight ship. But, yeah. you know, I think there is there is some idea or there is sort of some principle in what the Republican Party stood for. And it's so difficult now to see them grab power with sort of convenient lies without any sort of, like, plan other than, like, owning the liberals i guess i don't know and i think and yeah. i think it's really telling when the senate senate gop was holding their first sort of inaugural news conference they couldn't tell us what they wanted to do you know they their whole thing is well we'll figure it out along the line so the only you know motivating or unifying sort of like philosophy that was involved there was well we like power and we think that it's better in our hands than in democrats hands and it's just to me is so deeply frustrating because like I like it when things work well. I don't like it when it doesn't work well, and it just doesn't seem like this is a, a recipe for things working well. I, I, should we move on? I feel like yeah. we're just getting well, talking in circles. No, we and, totally and are. Angry old men. Yeah, no, I feel like we're just like we're just grousing, and it's I, you know, it's I think it's an important part of the process of kind of coming out of the Trump era is to sort of like reassess stuff and look around you, and I think that like you know, holy shit, that was bad. And we don't want to do that again. And now let's look locally. Let's look at our state government. Let's look at our local government and, and let's fix all that stuff because it's not, it doesn't work and it leads to bad things. And like it, you know, when you give a voice to someone like 
Donald Trump or to someone like Laura Reinbold, you create really problematic scenarios. You know, Jamie Allard on the Anchorage Assembly, who's like, you know, like spouting off about license plates. You know, we don't we don't need that kind of voice in a position of power that should be relegated to like the comment section on Facebook. You know, it's when it when you have someone speaking up who's who's not afraid to speak up in defense of of that kind of whether it's white supremacy or, or whatever, when you have someone willing to speak up for that, that really empowers those those folks and they come out of the woodwork. Where, anyways, how do we break out of this cycle of us just complaining about things? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think it's important to call foul on it, right? I think that's sort of the, the difficulty and sort of what has led us to where we are now is that I think as a system of, of media, of, of political sort of commentary, of, of politicians themselves, I think that we've kind of all so I find myself doing this still is that I find myself kind of wanting to be polite and give people the benefit of the doubt and sort of respect the sort of institution. Right. And, you know, I think we, which is good. Yeah, which is good. Like we don't want to be calling, you know, I think a world where we're calling our elected officials like Nazi supporters or Nazi sympathizers is like a bad place. And right. nobody, nobody, it's an uncomfortable spot where we don't want to be in, right? Yeah. Like it's, it's a bad, it feels bad, it is bad. And I think we don't, some of us don't want to acknowledge it. Some of us are sort of bound by the sort of the niceties of the whole thing. Like we, we might have to work with them later, right? Better not call them a Nazi for being bad, about being a Nazi now, right? And so... I think it kind of is just going to be take some time. You know, I think I, that, I mean, that's sort of what I feel like I'm getting sort of finding my footing better with now. I think actually, I think the, the capital riot, capital riots, capital insurrection, whatever the, the kind of language, that's a whole other issue. Right. But like that whole thing really did open a lot of people's eyes about just kind of how off in the weeds it has really gotten now. Yeah. And I think we're, we're you see more pointed language now, I think kind of addressing just how you know, repugnant a lot of these lying people are. And it's sort of, and on, this, and on one hand too, you know, it creates a power structure or creates a permission structure, right? Where people like Lisa Murkowski, Mitt Romney, all those sort of people can start, start say like, hold up, wait a second, screw this, I'm out. And like, that's, it's, it's a step. It's you know, important. I think there's, it's, it, there's, it's not going to stop the juggernaut that is the, the sort of massive right wing thing, but it's a step. So who's the person on the state level that's going to do that? Who's going to who's going to put their foot down and and stop us from being dragged over this cliff? It's not going to be John Coghill. Yeah. You know. It's not Kathy Geisel. I, mean, I think at some point I, you know, I think there's there's a point at which I think that seeing the Senate reorganizes is a long shot if I'm being honest. I think it's very unlikely that they kind of undo what they've done. You think they'll but make I it get... you think they'll make it 2 years like this? I don't know. I mean, the I think last there's no around, way. I mean, last time around, they did strip people of committee chairs, right? So there is room in this. So if they add more people to, they could kind of get to a bipartisan coalition if they add a couple more Democrats and then just sideline the Republicans, right? Like there is sort of ways you can kind of get around it, but I think it's I think it's really difficult to kind of uncork the bottle once we're kind of at this sort of spot now. Yeah. It's just bananas to me that you'd rather work with Laura Reinbold than than like Tom Baggett or Jesse Keel. You know, like yeah. those guys are, you know, they're willing to compromise. They're nice. They're professional. You know, I, I just yeah. I, I don't get it. Um, yeah, but I guess it comes down to values. Right. So if your values align with Laura Reinbold, whatever those values are, then that's where you're going to go. 
Right. And yeah. apparently your value is that that person has an R next to their name. Yep. So I don't know. Okay. Well, let's, let me complain about something else for a second. Now that okay. our, our podcast is entirely about complaining. Too grumpy. Blibberty blabberty scoop. Um, yeah. So I, uh, <laughs> I am no longer on the Alaska state council for the arts. It's an important organization to me. Um, I fought for its existence uh, when the governor uh, vetoed it and uh, destroyed it. You know, we Alaska was was one of uh, was the only state that had no state council on the arts for a very brief uh, moment in time, and that was because uh, it was included in the governor's 2019 <laughs> vetoes, and uh, the legislature restored the agency. Uh, put it back in the budget and then we had to rebuild because it's not this light switch that you turn off and then turn on again. And I haven't really, I feel like I'm a little more freed up to talk about this all now because I'm not there anymore. I don't have to be cautious of the organization. The thing I really liked about it is it was the, our board had a lot of conservatives and liberals on it and we all worked together really well. And we all worked uh, in service to the arts and the artists of Alaska and, you know, like when I got let go, I, I got a, I participated in a recall Dunleavy uh, uh, press conference on Tuesday. And then on Wednesday, I got a phone call telling me that my services were no longer needed. Uh, I asked them why they said no reason, <laughs> which I thought was <laughs> really classy. And then, um, and then uh, that was it. Right. So, um, you know, I can connect the dots and I can see that this is retribution and it's part of a bigger pat pattern of political retribution from this administration. You know, they, they started on day one with, with loyalty pledges and, uh, you know, basically forcing all at will employees to send in letters of re resignation. And, uh, so that's, of course, I'm going to get kicked off for participating in a recall of a governor who deserves to be recalled. Um, and he need, deserves to be recalled. It's this whole circular argument. Like he deserves to be recalled for exactly the reason that I'm being kicked off the, the arts council. And so it had nothing to do with the work I did there. I had a lot of really nice letters from people that you know after I left. And uh, you know one of the even one of the conservative members said, "I wish he'd removed me instead of you. You should be here." And oh, I wow. like that meant a lot to me. And I, I, you know, I really appreciate that that board was able to work so well together, and that the staff was amazing. And um, but it was it was tough because when the governor eliminated that that agency, we had to start over basically from scratch. You know, we had to rebuild. We we almost lost our lease, which thank God we didn't, because then we would I don't know what would have happened to the the contemporary art bank. Um, all that art that we had uh, probably would have just got scattered to the wind or like left in people's offices or whatever. And, you know, and we lost employees who were valuable to the organization, and then and we just started like piecing it back together piece by piece. And it took months and months and months. And we were just kind of starting getting up to speed again. And then the pandemic hit. And so it just, you know, the arts council today is not what it was in, in 2019 before these vetoes. Um, and I don't know when it will be, you know, it could be years and years. And I think that what I got to see there at that organization was a really close up view, like a macro scale view of what's happening across the state. All kinds of good people are being let go, uh, you know, dismissed from their jobs for for no reason other than their political assumptions about their political beliefs. Um, and, and some of these people are leaving the state. We're losing teachers and doctors and lawyers. 
um, you know, valuable, valuable minds. You know, you talk about, you know, people have always worried about talent leaving Alaska and they've always worried about, you know, keeping our, our best and brightest here because we have such a small population. It matters so much to have someone that cares about the state and has the skills to like really propel it forward. Um, but the impact that the Dunleavy administration is going to have on the talent in the state is like, it's, it's amazing to just watch the attrition. And I had a, you know, when I, I posted a little thing about getting let go from the arts council and a bunch of people reached out to me, you know, I all had various stories about, you know, their jobs or the contracts they had with the state. And just like it, you know, it really helped me feel like I was doing the right thing. Um, and as much as I love the work that I did on the uh, arts council, you know, I helped with the artistic license plate project. And, you know, we've talked about it a bunch here, all the different mm-hmm. little wiggly programs and stuff. And, but like, Ultimately, that agency, like the work that I do for that agency is always going to be in jeopardy if we have a governor like Dunleavy. And so this is a better use of my time is to just lean into the recall. And so I've been doing that the last several weeks. And uh, I've been one of the main people reigniting that effort. And right now is the time to do that. And I'm really glad to be on board. And, um, we're moving like it's, it's, um, it's very exciting to, to see it see the lights come on like there's it's been kind of in low power mode the people who work there are awesome and they've been doing good work um and they've been keeping it going and just kind of plodding along but it's been hard because it's such a big volunteer effort and everyone just scattered to the wind when the uh when the uh, pandemic hit so we're kind of re-coalescing I know it's really like I, I, there's a lot of like kind of moments that are sort of punctuated for me with the recall um you know, I think the the last sort of major gathering of Alaskans, I think, before the pandemic hit was the Iditarod start. You know, it's something that happened, I think, the week before everything went down. It's the sort of thing that would have been canceled, right, the, if it had been the schedule for the following week. And I remember just like how there there were tons of recall um, signature gatherers, books being kind of going around. There were tables there. There was recall people all over the all over the town that day. You know, they were busy. There were people at the trail gate, sort of little like celebration that's sort of on the trail. And, um, and then it was closed, you know. And then it was next weekend, it was all gone. And I think I just really remember – kind of that scene. Another one that I really, I got, finally got a chance to ask her about is, um, you know, I was at the uh, town hall in like Mar- March 2019 um, when uh, one of the recall activists, sort of pre-recall at the time, was Erin uh, Jackson. And she and another woman unfurled this recall Dunleavy banner in yeah. front of the governor. And it was this sort of, I think it really sort of set the course for like, everything that kind of came after it i think you know there was such a you know the budget really represented just such a a a a, you know divergence from what we considered to be alaskan and sort of alaskan values you know it wanted to you know decimate the university it wanted to cut education it wanted to privatize the ferry system it wanted to um you know, in, you know, increase rates at the Pioneer Homes to like unsustainable, like astronomical levels. It just wanted to do all these sort of things that just felt so deeply un-Alaskan to me. You know, it really brought people together at the time, you know, and I think that we, that was really reflected in sort of the bipartisan sort of nature of the recall. And I'm glad because I, and I think that there's so much has happened. And I was, I was really glad I got to ask Aaron there about, just sort of how she felt about, you know, how it got from there to now and just sort of what it meant to her. And I think that to me, I think was really 
her response if we could play it i think we might be able to play it right oh sure i can we cut it in there? there yeah yeah maybe we cut it in there um so we have what time for one more question i think <laughs> it says aaron could you talk a little bit on what it means to you to have gone from unfurling the recall banner to today what does it mean to you and how have things changed since then oh wow that's a deep question um really thinking about it 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 means it means the future of our state. It, I've lived here since I was one. Alaska is my home and I love it dearly and I love the people. And it means the world to me to see it thrive. And this governor is the antithesis of a good leader. He's broken the law. He's mi misrepresented himself. He has decimated our economy. He has destroyed our university system. He's going after education. He's going after the ferry system. Um, as an Alaskan, a lifetime Alaskan, um, he doesn't represent me and he doesn't represent what I know to be Alaskan. And so what this means to me is 2020 was a dumpster fire, right? It kind of, this whole, this whole year was just a nightmare. This is a new start. This 2021 is when we start to set our state to right. We take it back and we do what we need to do to make it so everybody has opportunity and everybody can thrive. And, and that's what this means to me. Um, we got to do this. Uh, go get your petition, www.recalldunleavy.org. Um, our state is depending on us and only we can make it right. Her response, I think, to me, just really reminded me about why all of this matters. I think it is, it's not just about why the recall matters, but why, like, public service and why paying attention to politics and all that sort of things matters because Alaska is a place that we all love. We all want to see thrive and we just, it's important to us. And I think that's somehow is not sort of factored into whatever this modern Republican party is to tie a thread all back together. Yeah. But like that, it just, it doesn't seem like, you know, there, there's, and I think we all, you know, in, in Alaska thrive, and it means all parts of Alaska to thrive, right? It means rural Alaska, it means coastal Alaska, interior Alaska, South Central, like all those areas need to thrive. And it means a lot of different things to everybody of what thriving means, right? And I just see the, the sort of lack of vision or whatever kind of vision that is being put forward by the by Dunleavy and the Republicans and sort of the propaganda machine is sort of this one size fits all. It's almost as if like we would all be happier living in a big giant single, you know, subdivision, you know, <laughs> the, with cookie cutter homes made by one of Dunleavy's pals, right? Like that's, it just seems like there's, there's no room for, for the uniqueness of everybody. Yeah. Where does this take kind of us? Yeah, yeah. I like that's, a, that's a great thing that you bring up is like, they really haven't articulated this vision, uh, you know, like open for business. What is like it, it means that their buddies make a little bit more money. Like, I don't, you know, there's not really a vision of like a better 
Alaska, aside from the word, like they like using the word strong, but I don't, I don't know. I don't know what that looks like. What does a stronger Alaska look like? And so, um, yeah, I, I, I get that. And you, you said that the, the budget was unalaskan and i think that's 100 percent correct i think that it's like they brought in a hired gun they brought in donna ardwin from outside the state and like let her just have free range and like cut the budget to shreds and like it wasn't representative of what it means to be an alaskan it wasn't representative of who we are as a people it was just some like disimpassioned disembowelment and and that's well, what, and then and then and then when the legislature said like oh, when the legislature put some stuff back in and and they they didn't stick by their vetoes that was one of the things i guess with the arts council that really hurt is that they they thought it was so important to veto the arts council and then they didn't keep it vetoed they just let it come back and then limp along it just seemed like such a like if you're talking about a waste of government money shut down an agency and then restart it from zero like that i mean i would i would say that across the board, the amount of time that has been spent on shutting down and restarting sections of our government has, it's got to be millions and millions and millions of dollars. And I think, you know, there's so many lost sort of opportunities in it, right? I think we talk about, you know, what would really make a big difference, right? Well, you know, in in Fairbanks, you know, a place that I sort of cut my teeth in, in Alaska, you know, I spent a long time there, you know, lower cost energy, lower cost heating, those would make monumental worlds of difference for that community. I think, you know, the the heating bills are are just astronomical there. And the air quality as a result is horrible. You know, it's it's life shortening. And I think the lack the the fact that we are end up fighting over just the basic survival of things as opposed to the 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 thriving of things is is so frustrating to me i think the vision he does have i think is sort of stuck in the past right you look at oil development for example you know arctic banks don't won't touch it right we just had an anwar sale for the first time and only alaska and two wildcatters bid on it right it's amazing alaska bid 14 million dollars on these oil leases and made seven million dollars off the sales (laughs) so like and like make up the difference in volume, I guess, right? <laughs> yeah, and I mean, this is these are lease sales that they thought were going to make the government, federal government, a billion dollars, right? And 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 so I think a lot of people are moving on and, and and from these sort of outdated sort of dinosaur industries that there's just sort of more sustainable, honestly, more profit. You know, there's more profit to be made in a lot of these other areas um, in the long term that is just being left at the wayside, and I think. What so it's so frustrating to me is that I think that there is you know a conservative you know future path pro business path here that is just not being done because I think they're just sort of stuck in an old way of thinking and yeah. it's just so we're like so the- frustrating it's demoralizing yeah but I think at the same time it's really invigorating because you're right there is a recall there's a solution to it there's there's you can vote you can get involved there's all these sort of different ways to do it that are so like much so more productive than what is going on right now we're like the the nantucket whale fleet you know we're like going out looking for whale oil to sell for people's lamps you know like yeah really (laughs) i really do think it is that way you know i think that the fact that we are like pinning our hopes and dreams for our state on an oil development that only we bought what and what we really need is a bigger boat so we can go out and get more whales right yeah like Like it it is yeah it's yeah we might as well be getting into whale oil right yeah exactly and it's just like i think that that's what's so frustrating is that the last two years in alaska the last four years on the national level felt like this massive wasted opportunity cost right like there's so many things you know climate change for example 
yeah, it's it's a difficult monumental problem, but there is a lot of money to be made on it. Honestly, if we're being completely honest, like right. whoever sort of figures out some of these solutions to you know carbon sequestration or just clean energy in a lot of different ways is going to make money hand over fist. What and is your planet worth to you? <laughs> right, they're kind of just sort of living through each sort of moment with no long-term future because to them as long as they're kind of getting their buck out of now it doesn't seem to matter what happens in the long term and yeah i mean i think it's it's really telling i think you know one of the one of the things that i sort of savored the most uh, other than you know all the sort of the, the pageantry of the inauguration day you know there's some great music great speeches all that sort of stuff the poetry um was awesome um but one of the things i i enjoyed most that day was all the all the people in these sort of right-wing QAnon threads being disappointed, mm. coming to the sort of slow realization that they've been lied to, right? Because they really did believe, you know, the, key, the, the founding idea of QAnon is that Trump was going to round up all the Democrats and pedophiles or whatever and kill them out on the White House lawn. Like, that was a thing that they believed, and up until the time that the inauguration happened, they were hoping it was still going to happen, right? And so the fact that, like, all of this... I, my friends, you know, I think my friend Spike called it goalposts on rocket skates, where they just yeah. like the goalposts are just moving so fast. <laughs> but eventually, they did run it. You know, they did some of them at least did hit into the reality of like, okay, where are the Democrats are still alive? Like, uh oh. Yeah. And I think well, like I don't know though. I mean, I'm reading stuff now about how like actually Trump's going to become president in March because the uh, because yeah, that's when the real the original the yeah. original Constitution. <laughs> So, but yeah, I mean, it's just like people are just living out in fantasy land. And so I think, you know, we talk about finding unity in this country now. We talk about healing the wounds. And it's just a lot of it feels like there's still a big gaping wound, right? And, right. and I don't, and we I need think accountability that, before we have there's unity. There's a knife still in it, right? Yeah. There's a knife that's still twisting around. And I think you just can't heal it until you remove that knife. Yeah. I think, like, there's just a source of these lies and disinformation. That is just so frustrating to deal with, right? And it, it it doesn't seem to be going away anytime soon because it's just so profitable for these people. But I do think you look at stuff like the condemnation of of, of uh, Missouri Senator Josh Hawley and just like the complete like debasing embarrassment that he put himself through. I think that is for some people is going to be telling. Like this is a big sort of you know this is a, you know, right like you said it's rock you know uh, goalposts on rocket skates right like it's going to take a little time for those either the rockets to either run out or fall down or whatever and it's going to take time and I think I think condemning Nazis is a good way good place to start right the unequivocal right what, know, what's, what's something we can agree on of, of Nazis is should be something that we should all be able to agree on it's a bad thing my grandpa got a purple heart settling that issue right like yeah. i think that is it, i thought you know i thought that was a thing that we didn't have to be debating yeah. anymore and right. I, it it's just, not cancel culture it's already canceled like it's we, we decided that one already <laughs> right and i think um you know i think when we talk about like moving on from it all i think people need to pay some sort of responsibility, some sort of price for the responsibility in all of this, right? I think that the people who incited these the insurrection, who've been feeding it, who've been knowingly profiting off of it, whether that there is, you know, subscriber fees or if it's, you know, offices of power, like yeah. we got to get so, rid of them in so some way. So let's bring know? this back to the state level. What would you say should be done about like a David Eastman who 
uh, went went there on, to participate in the rally? Or what would you say about someone like Laura Reinbold who signed on to the the Amicus brief? Uh, like, what is an appropriate response from Ala- the state of Alaska? Like, what how, you know, the citizens or the government? Like, what do we? What do you do about that? I mean, I think that the legislature censoring them would be, go a long way, right? right? I think that's not probably going to happen because the legislature is mostly run by Republicans anyways. Um, so one of the things, and we go on yeah. a really quick tangent here. One of the things we've gotten in really into in the last like couple months of the pandemic is trash um, reality television from the mid-2000s, right? Um, and one of those being the challenge, which is like this offshoot of the real world. I don't or house rule. I don't even know. Big brother. I don't something. So one of those things anyways, but we were watching this episode where, um, people were bullying each, someone was bullying another person. And basically the host steps in and says, that's really shitty. Like cut it out. Like that's bullying. And that's unacceptable. And like, I think that, that we've kind of lost somewhere along the line, like, Cond- you know social condemnation of each other like yeah i think that the the like the fact that they run quickly to the like oh it's cancel culture if you don't like what i'm saying is like absurd to me there's this great piece um that the new york magazine i think had this week about i think the headline is something along the lines of like josh halley believes it's censorship if you don't like josh halley like that i think is exactly sort of what's going on right now i think like we need to get back to being able to call jerks jerks and assholes assholes like i think that's sort of where like, we've sort of somehow not done that for the last, like, however many years. I think that it's important to call people out. And I, I don't think it's, it's, I don't, like, I the idea that it's cancel culture just is, like, so infuriating because it, like, just sort of simplifies and sort of dismisses everything. Like, a fundamental part of free speech is being able to tell other people that their speech sucks. Like, that's part of the the equation, right? And and, and part of the associ- free associ- associational rights of people is to be able to not support that speech, right? Like, we're not, like, the government can't stop you from doing anything else, but the government also can't force me to support you saying that. Like, it's sort of, that we've somehow, like, lost track of, like, what it means to have any sort of ounce of responsibility for what you say. And I think that's kind of, I, I would just, any sort of system that builds responsibility into it, whether it's, you know, making sure people know that they are the jerks that they are, or, you know, or they're voted, you know, honestly, you know, voting them out would be great, right? But, like, let's be honest with some of these districts, right? Some of these people are not going to be voted out anytime soon. It reminds me that there's these buzzwords that people just freak out about, Um, you know, and we need to pull back and we need to say, well, like, can we agree that people deserve to like not die, uh, you know, toward the best of our ability? Should should we prevent people from dying? Okay, good. We can agree on that. Let's get a little more specific about it. And I feel like it's, it's just a pulling back of our, of our values and our priorities and just sort of reestablishing them. And I wonder like if there's a way on the state level to, to do that. And I think about the, the events that like Frank Murkowski did one in 2002 and, and governor Walker did one of those when he first came into office. And it was like, they just brought a bunch of people together. It was kind of done in this, um, sort of style of like, let's talk about these issues broadly and try and find areas that we agree and start working in those directions. And like we've, we've, when we have those conversations, the more of those conversations we have, I feel like the more we're actually talking to each other and the more we're like being productive. And I, I feel like we're just, that's not how the legislature works. I feel like we need something other than the legislature to support those conversations so that they can happen so that the action can take place in the legislature. 
I mean, there's only 60 seats at the table in the legislature, and a lot of them are held by either white people or wealthy people, basically, <laughs> kind of, you know, up and down the board. Like, there's just not a, a it's not as big of a diversity of voices at that, at that table. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that idea is really good. I mean, I think that it's the thing is that the more we talk to each other, the more we realize we have in common. Like, I think the conversations we have with each other, especially with people of, like, op- different viewpoints, especially when we can kind of get out of kind of the the political ruts that we normally have is so critical like so you, know, you grew up you know in a republican household right i well not entirely up, my mom or, was my mom okay. was not super conservative <laughs> but so i grew up in like a dennis kucinich household oh, wow. so if you can give you any idea of where you know i was as, as a high schooler you know i grew up in portland right and so i was probably you know the kind of the liberal straw man that everyone talks about but you know, I went to school in Nebraska, right? Is you know, mm-hmm. maybe the deepest red that you can get in pretty much anywhere. And I think for me, it was really eye-opening to see, you know, to, to really realize kind of firsthand how much we actually agree on so many different things mm-hmm. and how much we have in common. And, and really, and it makes the, the, the more difficult problems a lot easier to tackle. And I think, you know, we always, I think every, everyone we hear talk about, you know, that everybody, you know, there's, we have a lot more in common with each other than we think we do but we you know how often do we really get outside of our bubbles or whatever and 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 really sort of experience anything outside of that and i think like those those forums i got to go to that forum um that the governor held governor walker held up in fairbanks i think that we kind of launched the idea for the podcast out of that actually but it was such like a, a invigorating sort of place to be able to talk to people and be able to sort of see a lot of these ideas come together and and sort of cross pollinate and sort of I don't know de silo if, if you really want to get into the legal or not into the dumb <laughs> you know syner- synergistic business jargon but I think there's a lot of just really missed opportunities with it and I think that's a place where a governor could step in and could sort of facilitate a lot of those conversations. It's a great time to do it. We're on Zoom right now. We can right. have a million breakouts. It can involve so many different voices. And I think it, it it's frustrating because right now in that lack of it, we have, you know, a few voices driving the conversation, right? You have the far right out there. There's not a whole lot else really of Twitter. It's kind of the mind, the hive mind of Twitter. Um, yeah. I mean, that's kind of honestly where, so what's the lunch and learn environment like right now? Yeah. Does that exist? I think so. I mean, that's kind of, honestly, that's sort of what, um, I got me going with the, the newsletter that we launched, um, yeah. this last. I've been meaning to ago. ask about that. So I, that was a complete surprise to me. How, like you snuck up on me and, and I feel like I generally kind of know sort of what you're working on. And then all of a sudden it's <laughs> like, oh, I'm doing a totally new thing. That's giant, this giant undertaking where five days a week, I'm going to send out this massive newsletter. What, where did that come from? Like, like did you did like did you get a journalism edict from someone that said newsletters are the thing now and like you know it was something that's kind of has been floating around my partner sort of mentioned it as a possibility and i kind of just sort of didn't really think about it and then i think it was the thursday before the friday that i announced it or so it was the day before i announced it right i finally go on to substack start looking at other sort of newsletters and kind of just have this like moment where it clicked where it's like oh this format this sort of looser format that's that's a little more loose in what you do with it but also more constrained in that you have to kind of build something daily is like really fun to me Mm -hmm. i think over the last year 
I, I was doing the blog and, and it was so sort of free form where there were days that were slow days that were busy, but mostly it was just kind of like up in the air all the time. I didn't really have like a good sense of like what I wanted to do with anything in it. Yeah. And I really found myself like not having fun with it anymore. So does this mean and, you're done with the blog or is this mean? No, so, I'm, I don't, so, so, you know, so yeah, so I like the, saw the first one and I think, so I, I, I got the idea on a Thursday announced it on a Friday, set up the sub stack, got it announced on Friday and been doing it for a week now. And I just really love the format. And for me, um, I had been doing during the old sessions, like this kind of daily recap anyway. So it kind of fits well into there. It honestly helps me with, kind of think about and structure my day more. Mm-hmm. And I think that's sort of what I really like about it is that um, when I didn't don't have a, a schedule, it's just so easy to fall off of one, especially right now. Yeah. And having something where I'm like writing every day and kind of trying to think of something sort of interesting to talk about every day kind of helps sort of everything else sort of grows out of that all of a sudden. And it all of a sudden becomes easier to do all the other tasks that I need to get done in a day. And so for me, it like brought just kind of renewed focus and interest in just sort of the art and, and, and practice of writing and communicating. And, um, and honestly too, like the way the blog works is the only sort of real interaction I ever have with it is looking at the, the views on it, you know, maybe get a comment or two every day, maybe get some interactions on Facebook and it just sort of doesn't feel the same. And now, you know, just hit reply on those on the newsletter emails and I get them in my inbox and I get to read what they they want to say to me. And I think there's a closer connection there that that I think feels really good, really invigorating and kind of like breathes a lot of new life into what I do. And I think yeah. um, I don't know. Yeah, it's just fun to have a conversation well, good. Good luck with that project. I think that's great. And uh, oh yeah, you can find um, it at akmemo.substack.com, or, or if you go to my website midnightsunak.com, you can find it. Yeah, there too. I was like, that's probably easier. <laughs> just yeah. go to just or or you could, if you wanted, you could post a link in the uh, show notes. Oh right, be, the show notes. That would be super easy for people to click yeah. on. <laughs> All right. Well, um, I think that's where you know we're a little long in the tooth here so let's go ahead and call it and call it a, a show and we'll uh catch up again another time i'd love to do another like deep dive weird topic issue if we can find one um, yeah i would love it because i think like the 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 general angst of everything yeah <laughs> is is really exhausting i think and i think like being able to consume and see sort of content that is more fun or interesting or off the beaten path is like exactly the kind of stuff that we need right now. Yeah. Um, I think it's just good for the soul. Yeah. So. But it was also a nice to vent. So thank you for it was that. It's also nice to vent. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, goodbye, Alaska. Goodbye, Alaska. Nice. All right. Good. That was good. I enjoyed that. Yeah. I'll chop it down a little bit, but it's uh, yep. it's a lot of good stuff in there. Podcast, just a way for two middle-aged men to talk to each other. <laughs>